On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, an exclusive report from Reuters gives us a key update on Cybertruck production. Plus, we've got new updates on production and expansion projects from both Giga Texas and Giga Berlin. A huge new museum exhibit features some of the rarest Tesla prototypes ever and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey here with you alongside Daisy the Boxer, who has uh, been unfortunately keeping me up the last couple of nights. The poor puppy has been up throwing up the last two nights uh, in the middle of the night. So I'm hoping that's going to go away on its own. I do have a vet appointment scheduled for next week, but I'm a little tired. If I if I come across a little low energy this week, you know why. But in any case, welcome to Ride the Lightning. It is your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast, this one for November 6th. 2022. It's episode 379. And hey, uh, just a quick PSA. The Cybertruck was featured on the latest episode of The Simpsons, which was the Treehouse of Horror 33, the uh, annual Halloween special that The Simpsons does. Now, there's no mention of it in the dialogue, so I don't have an audio clip for you. It just appears in the background if you do want to go check out the episode. Thank you to listener Mike Young for the heads up on that. Uh, One random thought that doesn't have anything to do with the news this week that that just occurred to me. I actually want to tip my cap to my friend Zubin, who made me, who got me thinking about this. And that is this. Could the next-gen Tesla Roadster's final design possibly be an Easter egg at the semi-truck delivery event coming up on December 1st? I mean, think about it. How poetically perfect would that be at the end of that event, after the handoff to Pepsi occurs, to have the final production intent Roadster roll off the back of the final actual in-production Tesla Semi. I do acknowledge this is probably wishful thinking because after all, this is Pepsi's event every bit as much as it is Tesla's, but it would be a way to A, generate a little extra hype coming out of the Semi delivery event for Tesla and for Pepsi, And B, it would throw you Roadster reservation holders out there, Zubin included, and just Tesla fans like me in general, throw us a bone, a long overdue bone on this car, which Tesla has been radio silent about for basically five years since it was announced. We've gotten a couple of little morsels, a couple of little scraps just over in that time, but really next to nothing about this car, which is supposedly maybe going to come out next year. We'll see. Anyway, uh, before I get started with another busy week of Tesla news, I hope all of you ludicrous tier backers and higher on my Patreon got a kick out of this week's lightning round mini episode, which I do exclusively for Patreon. It covered my top seven aftermarket accessories for your Tesla. These are just my seven favorites that I use on my car I went through them and talked about them. So you can check that out if you're interested on patreon.com slash Tesla podcast with Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. There's now 21 of those lightning round mini episodes that you'll get access to. You'll get access to all of them if you do decide to back my Patreon and support the podcast at that ludicrous tier or higher. Okay, let's get started here 
we have a big update, a, a, an important one anyway, on Cybertruck production in an exclusive from Reuters, who I remind you, has been dead on correct with their Tesla exclusives in the past. Reuters being, you know, one of the most prominent news agencies in the world. And they say, Tesla aims to start mass production of its Cybertruck at the end of 2023, two years after the initial target for the long-awaited pickup truck Chief Executive Elon Musk unveiled in 2019, two people with knowledge of the plans told Reuters. Tesla said last month it was working on readying its Austin, Texas plant to build the new model with, quote, early production set to start in the middle of 2023. Quote, we're in the final lap for Cybertruck, Musk told a conference call with financial analysts. That was, of course, the quarterly earnings call. A gradual ramp in the second half of next year to full output for the sharp-angled electric truck would mean that Tesla would not be recording revenue until early 2024 for a full quarter of production on a new model expected as key to its growth. Well, tip of the cap to Reuters on that exclusive because this is really, really good news. And that is because only six months from the start of production in which we, we know is still guiding towards mid-2023, only six months to go from the start of production to volume production would mean a much faster production ramp for the Cybertruck, which, remember, is supposed to be easier to build as part of Tesla's plan to make each new vehicle that it introduces easier to build than the last one, which, you know, when I think back on it, they have successfully done that, with just one exception. The Model X was definitely a bigger manufacturing challenge than the Model S, but every, every Tesla since has been easier to build than the one before it. Anyway, uh, this will also help Tesla start to move through the massive reservation list that so many of us are on more quickly. Now, for context, as you've been hearing about week after week on the podcast, the new Gigafactories have been forecasted and proving out to take about a year to get their Model Y production up to speed in those new buildings. But the difference here is that the factory will be up to speed by the time Cybertruck even starts production in mid-2023. Tesla is not trying to ramp a factory and a new vehicle at the same time. They've been using their new factories to ramp existing vehicles. In fact, they did that with Giga Shanghai as well, with starting with the Model 3 in that facility before later adding the Model Y, and now they're doing, doing that uh, in Texas and Berlin again with the Model Y. Uh, and, it, you know, come to think of it, this is probably why Tesla has specifically been wording Cybertruck production as starting, quote, when Model Y reaches volume production in Austin in their quarterly shareholder letters. So the point is here, we are now down to about seven months, give or take a month, to the start of production, and we are a year away from volume production, from Tesla actually cranking out Cybertruck. So that is good news for everybody on that reservation list. For me, the countdown for the Cybertruck I'm going to officially start my countdown. I'm going to start getting extra fired up on January 1st. You may be already in that phase where you're kind of mentally counting down. I'm waiting till we flip to the new year. And then on January 1, that's when I think we'll really be in the home stretch as far as I'm concerned. 
and it's going to be time to really start getting excited to see Cybertrucks on the road and in your driveway. Next up this week, speaking of Giga Texas, Tesla posted to its official social media accounts with a photo of the 20,000th Model Y to be made in Austin. If you're curious, it's a red Model Y with a black interior. And unfortunately, that's all I can tell you about it from the picture. And that is all we have is a picture. I'm not sure if it's a long range or if it is a standard range all-wheel drive with the structural battery pack and 4680 cells. And I wanted to add some good context here from Troy Teslike, who is a Tesla community member who is most definitely a numbers guy. He spends all his time dealing with numbers and he tends to have pretty good estimates on things. So I wanted to cite him here. He says the first 10,000 units at Giga Texas took 108 days. The second 10,000 took 43 days. And then he adds, based on my calculation, Giga Shanghai reached 20,000 units in exactly 100 days. Giga Texas in 151 days and Giga Berlin in 187 days. So some good context for you there. Thank you to Troy Teslake. Here's my question at this point. Is the standard range all-wheel drive Model Y with that structural battery pack and those 4680 battery cells, is that Model Y ever going to officially go on the menu in the design studio for anybody to willingly and specifically order? Or is that off-menu variant just going to be quietly phased out once the long range and presumably also the performance Model Ys that are built out of Texas eventually, inevitably, get switched over to those new cells and that structural pack? I suspect the answer to that's going to be yes. I think it is going to just get phased out quietly. It's never going to go on the menu because I think it would have gone on the menu by now if that was going to happen. Plus, if you remember, that standard range all-wheel drive is only $3,000 less than the long range. So I'm not really sure if it makes sense to make it widely available because I feel like with such a small price discrepancy, most people would just opt for the long range anyway, which for now is being built on the 2170 battery cells regardless of which Tesla factory it's coming out of. Now, you may have noticed this, I sure have. It seems like we often end up talking about Giga Texas and Giga Berlin in tandem. They are basically sister factories, right? They were both started at roughly the same time. They were both finished at roughly the same time, or at least by finished, I mean they both started producing cars at roughly the same time. So sure enough, this week, we just got an update on Giga Texas with its 20,000th car. Let's get an update on Giga Berlin. This comes via Drive Tesla Canada, who writes, It was revealed last week that Tesla was moving ahead with expansion plans for Giga Berlin just seven months after the factory opened. The first order of business, which I did tell you about on the podcast not too long ago, was to clear approximately 173 acres, a.k.a. 70 hectares of land, at the northern end of their 300-acre parcel to make way for new buildings. That work began last Friday, and crews wasting, wasted little time in clearing a large portion of that land 
over last weekend. And Drive Tesla is now learning more details about the expansion plans, which will increase the factory's vehicle production and battery cell production capacity to more than 1.5 million vehicles per year and 100 gigawatt hours of batteries per year. According to our sources, the first and second phases Tesla will seek approval for is mostly related to changes to existing facilities. This will include adding new areas for hazardous material storage and recycling and building a new battery cell testing lab, among other things. Some temporary structures will also be added to allow for vehicle deliveries to take place at Giga Berlin. Phase three is when Tesla plans to begin adding vehicle production capacity with two additional buildings in the northern section of the lot in the area where the land is currently being cleared. These buildings will supplement existing production capacity with their own paint shop, press area, and more. In phase four, Tesla will build a permanent delivery center and improve logistics on the factory complex. Phase five will see the start of vehicle production in the new buildings. Based on their experience building Giga Berlin, Tesla is anticipating construction will start in the first half of 2023, which will mean the start of vehicle production in the new buildings in 2025. Phases six and seven, and yes, these are the last ones, I promise. Phases six and seven involve battery and drive unit production, where Tesla will construct additional buildings. Drive unit production will increase to be able to supply more than 1 million vehicles annually, while the changes will add another 50 gigawatt hours of battery cell production. Well, I think the answer to what are they going to build there with the extra million car capacity over what they have now starting in 2025, I think that answer is obvious. It's gonna be the $25,000 cars, meaning the next generation platform, the compact sedan and the compact SUV. I don't think it's gonna be the Model 3. I could, I could certainly be wrong, of course. I'm definitely confident that it's not gonna be the Cybertruck. Tesla has not given any indication whatsoever that the Cybertruck will ever be built outside of North America. If it were to be ever built and sold, well, sold, even forget about built. If it were ever to be sold outside of North America, it would need to be a smaller version of the Cybertruck. Anyway, we can rule that out. Again, I don't think it's the Model 3. It's not more Model Y because they already have the capacity to build half a million of those per year in Berlin. It's going to be that next generation platform. I would be willing to bet lunch on this one. But the point is, though, it is so great to see Berlin already, already beginning an aggressive expansion plan. That is good news for the future of Tesla. Tesla everywhere, but specifically Tesla in Europe. Next this week, can we complete the bingo card and do a story on Giga Shanghai and the Fremont factory? You bet we can. Courtesy of Drive Tesla Canada one more time, who says Tesla is reportedly sending employees from Giga Shanghai to Fremont to help increase production. After recently upgrading the production lines at Giga Shanghai, Tesla China is reportedly sending some of the employees involved in their project to California to help with increasing output at the Fremont factory. 
According to sources that spoke with Bloomberg, Tesla China is sending approximately 200 engineers and production staff to Fremont. Many of those employees are automation and control engineers who during their time in the U.S. will assist their U.S. counterparts with boosting production of the Model S, Model 3, Model X, and Model Y. The employees are expected to arrive in California as soon as November, meaning any time now, and will be staying in California for at least three months, according to their sources. Well, you've heard me talk time and again about how Giga Shanghai seems to not only just meet and beat every single target and goal that's been set for it from the day that shovels first went into the ground to build the place. So they just, they consistently exceed their goals. It's, it's happened time and again. So it makes sense for Shanghai, which is as of today, Tesla's highest output factory to lend that expertise in their volume production skills over at Fremont. Whereas we know Tesla's had to put together something of a patchwork mass production situation using the bones of that old Numi plant that they purchased from Toyota back in 2011. Maybe they bought it in 2010. I don't have it in front of me. The open house that I went to was in fall of 2011. Of course, Model S production started in the summer of 2012. Shanghai, of course, currently builds the Model 3 and the Model Y. So, I'm sure they'll have some specific advice for the Fremont team on those production lines, but I'm actually more intrigued by how these on-loan Tesla engineers might be able to help the S and the X, because at least one of those, the X, is still ramping up to full speed after being redesigned a year ago. I, and by the way, I'm, I'm basing my statement here on the Q3 production numbers, the fact that the X is still ramping up after its re, uh, refresh. Because when we look at the production numbers from just this past quarter, we see that the number was just barely under 20,000. It was 19,900 something. And Tesla has previously stated that an annual production rate of 100,000 was gonna be the number for the S and the X combined meaning we should be seeing 25,000 vehicles, uh, S's and X's combined per quarter when things are fully ramped up. Thus, we can, we can be pretty confident that Tesla's not there yet. But anyway, uh, I'm thinking that the Tesla China crew is gonna help really the X in particular get ramped back up to full speed. That, that seems to be the car that needs the most help it's not to say, I mean, you heard the, the Drive Tesla Canada report said they're there to help with the all four vehicles, all the production lines, but it, it would seem to me that the Model X line is probably the highest priority, at least in the sense of maybe not the highest priority because the three and the Y are the money makers, right? Those are the high volume cars. So technically the three and the Y are always the priority, but I would, but clearly the X needs the most help. So I expect that, that the X line is going to get some special attention from these Tesla China staff that are on loan to California. Finally this week, the Peterson Auto Museum in Los Angeles, which has previously hosted temporary exhibits of both the Cybertruck prototype and then separately the next-gen Roadster prototype, 
Well, the Peterson is teaming up with Tesla once again. I got a press release from the Peterson this week, which read, the Peterson Automotive Museum's newest exhibit offers an in-depth look at the past, present, and future of Tesla. Called Inside Tesla, Supercharging the Electric Revolution, it explores the company's history, from early inspiration and humble beginnings to its rise as a world leader in electric vehicles and clean energy technology. Gathering the most comprehensive collection of Tesla products to date, the exhibit features everything from early concept vehicles to rarely seen prototypes and world record-breaking production vehicles. Beyond vehicles, attendees will enjoy a wealth of information and displays that tell the story of Tesla's energy ecosystem, manufacturing automation, autopilot and full self-driving expertise, among others, plus one-off projects with SpaceX, The Boring Company, and Hyperloop. Quote, Tesla has revolutionized the automotive, EV, technology, and manufacturing spaces within a relatively short time span, begetting the question, how did they do that? said Peterson Automotive Museum Executive Director Terry Cargis. This exhibit strives to be a holistic walkthrough of how the brand became a global phenomenon and further details what lies ahead, end quote. Now, if you're interested in visiting this, it kicks off on November 20th, and it's going to run for a full year. You can get information and tickets at peterson.org tesla with Peterson spelled P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N, peterson.org slash Tesla. Now, if you're curious, as I certainly was, what vehicles are in this exhibit? Well, I have the full list. The folks at the Peterson were kind enough to respond to me when I reached out to them after getting their press release. They sent me photos of all the vehicles as well as just the list. So here it is. Here's what you can see in this exhibit. The 2005 Tesla Roadster Aerodynamic Buck, meaning the original rolling mule of the Tesla Roadster, the original Tesla Roadster, which I presume, I believe, is the same one that was featured in Iron Man, the first Iron Man film, sitting in the, the background in Tony Stark's garage. 2012 Model X prototype, and that car... I've had the pleasure of seeing it. Uh, I got to see it back when Tesla was just displaying it in their Santana Row store down in San Jose here in Silicon Valley back in 2012. I went down there with a friend of mine and got to see it. But to my knowledge, I, I can't remember the last time the Model X prototype was on public display. And by the way, it's really different from the production X. Not like night and day different, but... That, that prototype, again, was from 2012 and early 2012 at that. And the X didn't go into production until the fall of 2015. So there was three and a half years between prototype and production. And so if you do get the chance to see this exhibit, obviously you're going to look closely at all these vehicles. But that 2012 Model X prototype is really interesting to see just to, from all the little changes that, that add up to kind of be a lot of change from the prototype to the production X that we've been seeing on the roads for the last seven years now. Also in the exhibit, 
a 2013 Model S P85 in signature red, the 2016 Model 3 prototype, the silver one, the one that I was lucky enough to ride in uh, the night of the Model 3 unveiling back on March 31st, 2016, the 2017 next-gen Tesla Roadster deck model, which again is another way of saying the rolling mule. It's not a real functioning car, but it's it's a full-size mock-up with proper sheet metal. Like, it looks like a real car, and it's white. Unlike the actual functioning prototype that's in that stunning red, this is your chance to see what the next-gen Tesla Roadster will look like in white. Also in the exhibit... The 2019 Tesla Cyberquad prototype, the, and then of course you can't have that without the Cybertruck prototype, so that's there once again. The 2020 Model Y Performance, and if you're wondering, well, wait, why would that be there? No, it's not VIN number one, which was my first guess. Instead, it's Tesla's one millionth vehicle produced, which just happens to be a 2020 Model Y performance. Then a 2021 Tesla Cyberquad for kids, which is a real collector piece now. The uh, 2021 Tesla Model S Plaid Nürburgring. Yes, the one that they took to the ring in Germany to set what was then the fastest lap ever around the ring in an electric vehicle. And then the 2008 Roadster Founder Series, and yes, it is specifically Elon Musk's VIN number one. And finally, the Boring Company's 2018 Not a Flamethrower. Actually, that's not the last one. The real last one I saved to say last because I think it's, to me, this is actually the crown jewel. You may disagree, you may think one of these other ones is more interesting to you, but to me, the one I am very eager to see from a historical perspective, the 1997 AC Propulsion T0. Now, if you're not familiar with this, it's a good reason to go see the exhibit. This was the car that inspired Elon and JB to start Tesla, to build the Roadster, to get into electric vehicles. This was sort of the the precursor to the Roadster even. It obviously never made it into production. It never, that company never made it, but that vehicle is there. And I have to say, I I had to smile a little bit, not that I'm taking any credit for this exhibit because obviously that's not how the world works, but I did sort of cheekily have to wonder to myself, perhaps somebody at Tesla has heard my previous cries to have the original Model 3 prototype and some of these other historically notable Tesla vehicles be in a museum instead of collecting dust over at Franz's design studio. So I'm I'm so happy to see this. Uh, I am looking forward to getting over there at some point in the next year myself. I mentioned it opens on November 20th. It's running through next October, the next October 22nd. So you've got plenty of time to get there if you're interested. And in fact, I was just curious. So I put this, I made this the Patreon poll for this week on patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. Again, the poll, anybody can vote on. You don't need to back me on Patreon. And the question was simply, will you go, will you find your way to the Peterson Auto Museum in the next year 
to go see this Tesla exhibit. Well, I shouldn't have been surprised when two-thirds of the respondents said no, but 30% of you said yes, uh, because this, you know, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a logistics issue. Not everybody lives anywhere close to Los Angeles, so not everybody's going to be able to make it down there. But still, some good comments here from, uh, from some of you folks. Michael Young saying, I really want to see the Cybertruck in person before I get it. This might be my best chance. Granted, it's about as far away in the U.S. as I can get. Uh, who else commented on this? A cup of cheese saying, it'll give me another reason to visit my LAX clients. So that's, uh, that's good, to, good to hear as well. Aaron McFarland saying, I went to the Peterson Auto Museum to see the Roadster last year. Probably won't have a chance to get out there in the next year. But uh, yeah, Walt Rush, I am like most and would love to see the Cybertruck before actually taking delivery. And as all of you may remember, I did go down with my friend Michael from Millbrae to see the Roadster when it was down there last, I think it was last May, May of 2021. And I do have the good fortune of having a business trip coming up to LA in about actually one month from now. So I haven't booked my travel yet. I'm going to try and sort it out so that I can carve out some time to go over to the museum and see this entire exhibit. But you know what? I was not satisfied with just getting the list of cars. I wanted to find out more about this exhibit. It's very fascinating to me. And so I am joined this week by Autumn Neary, the associate curator at the Peterson Auto Museum in Los Angeles. Autumn, thanks for joining in here. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, I naturally, I've got some questions about this exhibit. I was very surprised to see this and pleasantly surprised to see you guys partnering with Tesla on this. And that's actually my first question. How did you guys connect with Tesla on this? You obviously have an existing relationship with them going back to when the Cybertruck prototype uh, was was individually shown. I believe it was about a year ago, maybe two years ago. And then the Next Gen Roadster, which I came down to visit last year. So who approached who on this? You know, I'm not really sure in leadership where the relationship started. But as you mentioned, we've had partnership with Tesla for a while. We showed Roadster 2.0. We showed the Cybertruck. We also have um, the a Model S prototype that we've had on display at the museum before in our alternating currents exhibition. Um, and we talked with them about doing a sort of display of vehicles that might not have been seen before. So some prototypes, um, things of that nature in a more broad sense to cover more vehicles. We had originally thought about doing something small in our Legends Gallery, down in our vault, and then it just sort of snowballed. We realized there was too much to this story to be told with just a handful of vehicles. You know, what makes Tesla so special is the uh, breadth of its uh, products, its manufacturing capabilities. There's so much more than just, you know, you could get by displaying a handful of vehicles. So we decided to put it in our biggest gallery and have worked closely with them to bring this to fruition. And this is no joke. This is going on for a year. You know, the, the Cybertruck was only there for a little while. The Roadster was only there for a little while. But folks, have, you've, you've secured these vehicles in this exhibit for an entire year. 
Absolutely. The exhibition opens on November 20th and will be on view through October of 2023. So we hope to reach the widest possible audience, um, give people plenty of time to come see it, to come see it again. There's so much to explore in this exhibition. Um, it really deserves a, a nice long run. So uh, I have to wonder, did you work with, you and your team work with Tesla's chief designer, Franz von Holzhausen, and his team on this? Because to the best of my knowledge, as somebody that's studying Tesla week after week, I think a lot of these cars were were hanging out in his design studio over in Hawthorne. That is correct. We have worked with Franz. He has been involved since the very beginning. We had meetings with him and with his team. Rich Otto has been an enormous help to us. Um, and Franz, you know, had a had an eye and a hand in the things we would display, not just in terms of the vehicles, but he has a broad knowledge of Tesla more generally. So, you know, when we decided to explore manufacturing and decided to explore, um, you know, their energy initiatives, um, he was able to steer us in directions regarding those things as well. You know, uh, the Cybertruck prototype from 2019, November 2019, uh, its first public unveiling, of course, that is part of this exhibit, just as as that truck was individually uh, featured already. When it was featured previously in the museum, I would wager that that was an extremely popular attraction for you guys. Oh, it was enormously popular. There were, you know, lines to see the Cybertruck. And it's so funny. We, early on in the process of planning this exhibition, we were with Franz down in the gallery where the exhibition would be, sort of looking at the space and thinking of the things we could do. And a little boy walked up to us with Franz and said, do you still have the Cybertruck? <laughs> and it was almost as if we had planted in there. It was just too perfect <laughs> right in front of Franz to talk about, you know, to have someone express interest in seeing the Cybertruck when we were discussing that very thing. I mean, did you did you observe because as a Tesla owner, I've observed this and I'm curious from your perspective as having showcased a couple of different Tesla vehicles so far ahead of this massive exhibit. Kids seem to really love Tesla. They seem to get it. I mean, I think there's so much about Tesla that is appealing to, to kids with the technology. Kids know their technology these days and, yeah. and Tesla you know, plays on that. And there are Easter eggs and fun things to discover inside Tesla vehicles. And I think that that does play into, you know, kids, uh, the things that kids are interested in. We will also have the CyberQuad for kids on view. So The now recalled CyberQuad for kids. What? The now recalled. It, you've got like a, a, a one of a kind. It's like extra rare now because the extra government rare. recalled We them. will have one on view. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, I, I got one, one more Cybertruck thing before I move on to the rest of the exhibit. Uh, it's, I have to imagine again, hearkening back to when you had the Cybertruck previously, that it was pretty obvious who broke the rules and touched the Cybertruck when they weren't supposed to, because the stainless steel shows fingerprints, right? How, how close <laughs> do people get to it in this exhibit? Is it, is it like out of arm's distance? We have stanchions around all the vehicles. It's uh, We dust them and we always find fingerprints. It's terrible. We're a museum. <laughs> I wish people would treat us uh, with the respect these vehicles deserve. But uh, inherently, you're going to find a, a fingerprint or two. At the same point, though, whoever's job it is to clean the cars each, whatever it is, day or week, that's got to be like our... our 
a highly coveted gig in this case when you're, when you're around all these cool, rare, one-of-a-kind cars. I mean, it's pretty amazing. We've got a great team that uh, cleans. Our archivist cleans the objects that are non-vehicular. Our uh, auto team cleans all of the vehicles. They're touching some of the rarest specialist vehicles that exist. And so, you know, in, in the case of many of the vehicles, they need to be started periodically. So yeah. to get to sit in the driver's seat and start some of these vehicles is is quite a treat. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned at the top the Model S or the original functioning Model S prototype, which was there uh, right next to the next gen Roadster prototype when I visited last year. It's not listed as part of this exhibit from the list I got. It, is it? Is it? It's still in the museum. Is it part of this exhibit? It is part of the exhibit. Oh, um, good. The the premise, sort of the thesis argument we're making, really, is that the Model S, as it was unveiled in two thousand and nine, is essentially one of the most important vehicles since the Ford Model T. Yeah. It revolutionized electric vehicles, making them not only a viable alternative to petroleum-fueled cars, but also a highly desirable vehicle. And that is just, you know, in less than two decades, Tesla has succeeded in disrupting a global industry that's more than 130 years old. And the Model S is is the linchpin in that. I love that that car is on display. I mean, it, you're because I agree with you completely. Obviously, I mean, you're on a Tesla podcast. I'm certainly going to agree with you. But <laughs> it really is. It's a, it's such a historically significant car. Um, it is, and we have you know we have that Model S prototype. We have the Model S P85 that was flown to New York when Tesla received the Motor Trend Car of the Year award in 2013. Yeah. We also have the Model S Plaid that. Uh, set the Nurburgring lap record for a production EV. There's one other quite historically significant car in this exhibit that I want to ask you about that I suspect most of most Tesla fans don't know a lot about. I'll confess, I don't even know much about this vehicle. I've heard of it. I know it was kind of the the original, like real ultimate first seed of Tesla. You have the AC Propulsion T0 prototype. Which yes, is we do. sort of what, what drew Elon and JB Straubel into, into Tesla and, and really kind of got everything started. Can you talk a little bit more about that vehicle? And it, it's is it a it's a one of one, isn't it? It, it was a one of three. One of three. Uh, the second uh, variant that was built was destroyed in a fire. So there are now only two remaining, and we will actually have both of them on view in the museum wow. at the same time. Uh, the first one will be in the Tesla exhibition. That's the vehicle that Elon drove and, you know, it inspired him and, and made him realize that there was viability in electric sports cars and got him involved with Tesla. The third model will also be in our alternating currents exhibition and will be opened up so people can sort of get a look under the hood. Um, the original T0 used lead acid batteries. Yeah. These were short range, incredibly problematic. And uh, talking with people like J.B. Stravel, Elon, uh, they were convinced to try and use lithium ion batteries. And that sort of started the the path to Roadster. Oh, yeah. I, I see. I, I definitely I'm glad there's a year on this because I, I got to get down at some point to see. I want to see all these cars, but especially that T0. That is that is a very, very special car. Now, speaking of lead acid batteries, I do just want to tangentially ask real quick, 
you guys have an EV1 as well, don't you? One of the very few that GM didn't crush. We do. That is in our alternating currents exhibition as well, which, you know, traces the history of electric vehicles more generally. So we do have the GM EV1 and um, the the builders of the T0, uh, Alan Cocconi actually worked for GM and worked on the EV1, which oh, wow. helped him recognize the potential for electric vehicles. And that's what inspired him to build the AC propulsion T0. So I'm curious, you know, you're, you're so uh, heavily involved with this. You get to do this as, as your job every day, which is, which sounds pretty incredible to me. What's it like for you to get to be up close and personal with all of these unique cars? Like you, you kind of touched on it. Not a lot of people get to sit in the Cybertruck or the new Roadster or so many of these vehicles. Most of us have to wait a long time if we ever get that opportunity. Like, does, are you still, do you still kind of get the, the kid like glee with it or is it, is it just sort of part of the job now? No, I definitely get the glee. And what's funny is my uh, path in the museum world, I come from a history museum background. So working at the Peterson for the past three years, um, cars were incredibly new for me. And, um, I, I wasn't sure that I would really, you know, find a, a zen with these vehicles. And I yeah. absolutely have. Like, I just appreciate each each vehicle we have in our collection, each show we do. These these cars are remarkable and they they mean a lot. And I I watch them come into the gallery with much glee. I have to ask before I let you go. Do you have a favorite vehicle in this exhibit? Oh gosh, that's so hard. I I think one of the vehicles that people will be really uh, intrigued by is the 2003. It's a heavily modified Lotus Elise that was Mule One, the first fully functional prototype created by Tesla. Yeah. Um. So that showcased the AC propulsion powertrain and was used to develop and test systems for the production Roadster. And it uh, has what looks like the original Elise body, but featured significant modifications to accommodate the electric drive system and other components like the battery designed by JB um, and a small Tesla team. So that's a really unique vehicle that I think people will enjoy seeing. And then you've, you've uh, just for a little extra fun, you've got a boring company, not a flamethrower as well. <laughs> we do. We talk about the... Um, overlap between with Tesla and some of Elon's other ventures, SpaceX, we've got a mock-up of the Roadster that was the payload for SpaceX and is now in an elliptical orbit around the sun. We talk about the boring tunnel, which is uh, jokingly referred to as Tesla's in tunnels under the Las Vegas Convention Center. <laughs> and you have to throw a not a flamethrower in there. Of course. So uh, last question for you here, Autumn. Do you have any tips for people who decide to visit? I mean, the, the museum itself, I, again, I had the pleasure of visiting last year to see the Roadster. The museum is definitely large. Um, is it you, is it best to block off at least like half a day? Like, do, what are your kind of quick tips and tricks for any any of my listeners who may be visiting the museum for the first time? It sort of depends on how in-depth you want to go with these cars. You can definitely stroll through and just enjoy the beauty or the, the history of the vehicles. 
but the text really gets in depth and, and teaches everyone something. So I would suggest half a day to see the full museum. The Tesla show is so chock full of artifacts and vehicles. You'll need two hours in there at least. Good to know. Uh, the exhibit again is Inside Tesla Supercharging the Electric Revolution. Autumn Neary, the associate curator at the Peterson Auto Museum. The exhibit again opens November 20th, running through October 22nd of 2023. To purchase tickets or for more information about the Peterson Auto Museum, visit peterson.org slash Tesla. And there are no O's in that. P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N.org slash Tesla. Autumn, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. I want to thank Autumn for kindly taking the time with me this week to talk through a little bit more detail about that new Tesla exhibit at the Peterson, which I look forward to checking out. Hey, before I get to the Ride the Lightning hotline, a quick word about AccelerateAuto.com and their X-Care extended warranties for EVs. That discount code for 100 bucks off is still available for you guys. That code is LIGHTNING. But let me remind you again about who these guys are. They are the former Tesla guys themselves who stepped up to offer an extended service agreement where Tesla no longer does. So stuff like MCU replacements, onboard computer systems, door handles for the S, AC, HVAC issues, air suspension issues for the S and the X, all that and more are covered by their extended service plan once your four-year 50,000-mile factory warranty is up as mine is. X-Care is built specifically for electric vehicles and offers coverage for up to 10 years and up to 175,000 miles with a $100 deductible. I've got a three-year 40,000-mile plan in place myself. They also offer leasing for consumers, businesses, and public entities that are looking for a more creative leasing solution than a cookie-cutter approach. In fact, unlike Tesla's leases, Accelerate allows you to buy the car at the end of the term if you want to. Learn more and find the right extended warranty plan for you and your Tesla at AccelerateAuto.com slash Xcare. That's X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-E-A-U-T-O dot com slash X-C-A-R-E. And again, don't forget about that discount code LIGHTNING. That'll get you 100, excuse me, $100 off your policy. And with that, it is time to hear from you guys in the Ride the Lightning hotline. I invite you to participate. I welcome you. If you've got a question, comment, or discussion topic for the podcast, give me a call. There are two easy ways to do it. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question. Please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many people each week as possible. And then email that file to me at teslapodcast.com at gmail.com, or you can just call and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's available anytime, day or night, and that number is 1-888-989-8752. That's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they are special. The recordings can be podcasted like I do with them or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. 
Let's talk Cybertruck with Wes in South Carolina. Hi, Ryan. This is Wes in South Carolina. Just listening to the podcast, and a fellow called in about using a blowtorch to colorize the panels on the Cybertruck. I used to work for a yacht furniture company, and we polished stainless to a mirror finish, so you could do that. And the other thing we did is we masked off the area that was the company's logo, and we would shoot uh, sandblasting material against the stainless to, uh, to etch in the logo of the company. So that idea could be used to, say, do subdued features on the finish of the truck, like uh, maybe old-school old hot rod uh, flame job or something, or uh, logos on the side of the truck, that sort of thing. So just thinking, oh, and scotch bright pads work wonderfully on, on stainless as well. All right, enjoy the show. Take care, bye. Thank you, Wes. Yes, DeLoreans used to include a stainless steel car care kit that I'm hoping Tesla's going to offer with the Cybertruck as well. That kit included a scotch bright pad, which they generically referred to as a blending pad. I've personally spent a lot of time over the years getting scratches out of the stainless body of my DeLorean using a heavy-duty Scotch-Brite pad. It's the green ones, the dark green ones are the, the color you're looking for, or they can be uh, dark gray as well. But while on the subject, and you'll know this, but for everyone else's benefit, never ever use steel wool on your Cybertruck body. I know, Wes, you didn't bring that up at all, but just there's... I've, I've noticed those things tend to get conflated sometimes. So while I'm on the subject of talking about taking scratches out of your stainless steel body on your Cybertruck with a heavy-duty Scotch-Brite pad, a lot of people, I, I've been asked that many times over the years with the DeLorean. Oh, can you just use steel wool? No, no, no. Do not use steel wool. And the reason is because steel wool actually has bits of metal in it, and those bits of metal will come off as your you know, scrubbing, and those will get embedded into your Cybertruck body, into the stainless, and while no, your body won't rust, those bits that come off and, and get embedded into the body will rust. But don't worry, friends, I will go over all of this and a lot more uh, again in the future once the Cybertruck starts delivering. I will share all of my stainless steel car care knowledge with you. In fact, I should probably do an entire episode on that. That that might not be maybe like a I don't know if it'd be a Patreon episode. Probably not. I mean I should give it I should make that available to everybody. Maybe I'll do it at like the end of an episode one week so that people that don't care can just press stop and they won't have missed anything. Anyway, I'll figure all that out later. Anyway, I uh I have also seen the occasional DeLorean, West to your point, that has had its stainless steel polished to a mirror finish. It's a unique look, I'll give you that. It's not for my taste, personally. But the real problem is the blinding glare off the hood and into your own eyeballs. So, to my future Cybertruck-owning listeners, please don't do that to yourself with your Cybertruck. But yes, Wes, I like your sandblasting suggestion. That's something that I've never seen but I think could be a, a really cool way to do it. I, uh, a professional metal, metal worker, uh, a professional detailer, maybe both. There's, a, there's an opportunity there to do some unique stuff. Thank you very much, Wes, for your call. Let me go to Pete from Carmel up next. Hey, Ryan, Pete from Carmel. Long time no talk. 
I was listening to your last episode with uh, great interest. I'm glad to hear that Tesla's doing so well in Germany and actually, in some cases, beating the local competition. I'd be interested to know if any of your listeners or perhaps the gentleman from Switzerland has commented on the build quality of Tesla vehicles made in Germany. It would be interesting to compare uh, the build quality here in the States versus Germany versus even Shanghai. Um, so don't know if any of the listeners out there can maybe have some input and share some of their experiences, but uh, certainly the Germans are known for high build quality, so wouldn't be surprised if their vehicles are really outstanding. Thanks again. Look forward to hearing from you. Pete, it's always great to hear from you. I echo your call to any of my European listeners out there who have a Giga Berlin built car. I would love to hear how the build quality is directly from an owner of one of those cars. Now that said, what I can anecdotally share from just again, soaking myself in the entire Tesla community every day, which I always, you know, that's why I, <laughs> that's why I do the podcast. Cause I'm, I'm soaking all that stuff in anyway, but generally speaking, word is that the build quality on the Giga Berlin cars is very clean all around on not just the Berlin cars, but the Shanghai cars as well. However, I did have someone who, I'll just protect any names or anything, but somebody who's seen a number of Texas-made model-wise tell me that they thought the build quality out of Texas wasn't there yet. And this person attributed that just to the frantic rush to ramp up production as quickly as possible there. Take that with a grain of salt. It's just one person's opinion on a handful of cars they've seen, but it's something to keep an eye on. And you know, with Fremont, it seems like it's kind of a mixed bag, if we're being honest, out of Fremont. Although generally, I'd say it's pretty good. Like, I can say myself, I get to see a lot of Fremont-made cars here in the San Francisco area, obviously, both new and old, and I do look at them to compare build quality to mine. Like, I know all the little tiny build quality flaws on mine. It's, I have some, it's just, that's the reality. But most of the cars coming out now that I take a look at look pretty darn good to me. In fact, I would say the common thing I have noticed, particularly on the Fremont-made Model Y, is the rear liftgate panel, not the gap on that not being right. So really, in other words, the, the, the lift gate itself, not quite fl- the, the gap around that to the rest of the, you know, the bumper and the rest of the body, not quite being flush, being, being correct, being evenly spaced. But again, grain of salt, it's just my opinion after a look at, a quick look at Tesla's when I get a chance to see them. I'm not out there studying a large sample size of the cars, like right at the factory or anything like that. Pete, thank you very much. Take care. Let me go next to Chris from Chicago. Hi, Ryan. Chris from Chicago again. Just wanted to leave a note on my Tesla service experience and just kind of, I don't know, maybe vent or sum it up. Uh, I, like many of your listeners and yourself, are just over-the-moon Tesla fanboys, right? The car, the the company mission statement, all that. And I know from the beginning, one of your concerns was service and how they'd be able to maintain their product over the years. 
while there's minimal service with electric cars compared to other cars, service is still needed from time to time. And what I'm learning is it's more tailored to the specific, you know, operations of the car. And a lot of things are so proprietary that it's not like I can go in there and ohm out a sensor or check the, you know, check the the ECU for different issues. A lot of it is proprietary software and you know, so anyway, I'm kind of dealing with that, and so I had some radar alarms, and so I took it into the service center, and, you know, one of my biggest gripes in regards to Tesla, maybe just Tesla service, is the way that they handle their service procedure. They typically issue a repair estimate before you even bring the car in. So based on your alarms, based on your situation, you get a repair estimate. How can you estimate a repair without even taking a look at it? And I fight with them every time about it. I, I'm not approving an estimate without an actual person looking at it. It doesn't make any sense. I've been in the repair industry for over 20 years. It's not normal. It's not, you know, it's not an expected way to repair anything. And so my latest scenario is that they had an estimate for $1,200 or so to repair a sensor, replace this and that. I'm like, I'm not signing off on that because you have no idea what it is. It could be just a broken wire. It could be a loose connector. It could... You know, and so here we are like four days later, they can't figure it out. And it wasn't what the estimate was. And I'm just, well, like I said, this is just a vent call or <laughs> just to, uh, you know, agree with your, your assessment on the service side. So anyway, love the show. Keep up the great work. Bye. Chris, I feel for you here. I think you make a valid point. That said... I can pretty confidently say that I don't think Tesla's trying to be deceitful or dishonest. And to be clear, I don't think you're suggesting that either. I suspect that more often than not, they are able to accurately estimate what the car's going to need by checking the car logs prior to your appointment. But I also see your point, particularly given your long-term experience in the service field, that you don't think it's fair to be held to a service estimate that's naturally going to kind of guide the pricing, whether it ends up being super accurate or not, without a physical inspection of the car. I think this is good constructive feedback that you have provided here for Tesla, that they should consider evolving their policy or maybe more accurately their procedure for how they set customer expectations with this stuff. They should be clear about saying, The estimate we're sending you is what we think it may very well be, but our technicians will physically inspect the car to confirm or modify that estimate. And again, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I just think maybe it could be spelled out uh, really a little more clearly for everyone involved. I hope that by the time you hear this, that your current issue has been resolved. Thank you so much for taking the time to call in and share your experience. I've got time for one more call this week. I promise I'll get to more Ride the Lightning calls next week, so keep them coming. But this final one is an anonymous fellow, did not identify himself, but he's a Model Y owner, and I'll let him take it from here. Hi, Ryan. Love the show. Thank you for all the great info you give us. Um, I've got a question. I have a 2021 Model Y long range. I have 27,000 miles on it. Uh, It's a year and a half old, and the 80% charge is now at 234-mile range. Um, When I first got it, 
a year and a half ago, it was 330 miles. Obviously, I have a, uh, a payment on this car for another couple of years, and I'm concerned what it's going to be like. I do put a lot of miles on it and wasn't sure if I should think about maybe selling it. Um, this got full FSD as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Hello, and thank you for calling in. Well, this comes up a lot. In fact, I think most of us go through this at some point in the first year or so of our Tesla ownership, unless you've got an LFP battery car. But anyway, the good news here is that it shouldn't be anything to worry about. What happens with these batteries is, as you're probably aware, they do suffer some degradation uh, of their capacity over time. Roughly 10% generally is what the numbers have borne out. Unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of that degradation happens after about the first year. But then, again, there is data to back this up with the last 10 years of Model S's and you know plenty of Model 3's out in the field now racking up miles, that the overwhelming, uh, excuse me, that the, the degradation curve from there practically flattens out. You said that you're showing about 30 miles fewer than when you first took delivery. Well, by my rough math, that's about 9%. In other words, totally normal. Now, I realize that's not ideal, but that's just how these batteries work. We shall see if the 4680 battery cells behave any differently as those start to roll out wider. But in the meantime, I hope that helps, and I hope that puts your mind at ease a little bit. Thanks to everybody for taking the time to call in this week. Again, I will get to more calls next week, so feel free to keep them coming. I gave you the call-in information at the top of this segment. You can also find it in the episode description every week if, uh, if that's easier for you to reference. But in any case, for now, stick with me. I'll be right back with a little bit more Ride the Lightning coming up right after this. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. Before I give you your pro tip of the week, and before I forget, I wanted to say thank you to the caller from not super long ago, and my apologies, I don't have in front of me who it was, but the caller that suggested looking into lowering my deductible on my insurance for things like windshield replacements, which I went through not that long ago and I had a $500 deductible. Well, I went ahead and emailed my insurance agent and sure enough, it will only cost me an extra $5.50 a month to lower my deductible from $500, which is where it was and what I had to pay out of pocket for that new windshield not too long ago, down to $100. So to me, well worth it. I now have a $100 deductible if I ever have another windshield replacement or, heaven forbid, anything else. So thanks to the caller that had suggested that, and I'll say to all of you, you may want to consider that as well, uh, because if your Tesla's your daily driver, as it is for me, windshield cracks happen. This stuff happens, so it uh, might be worth checking into. Hey, a quick entertainment recommendation. Big game, possibly the game of the year. It's, it's almost certainly going to be a two-horse race in the video game world this year between Elden Ring and this game, God of War Ragnarok. It's out this week for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. I am just starting to play it myself. I loved the last one. 
I don't want to say the first one because there have actually been several God of Wars. The last one was called God of War. It was a reboot anyway. Uh, but the new one, God of War Ragnarok IGN, where I work, we gave it a 10 out of 10. It wasn't my review, but that is high praise nevertheless. So if that is of uh, interest to you in the video game space, check it out. It's out this week. All right, pro tip of the week time, Doug from Naples. Go ahead, Doug. Hey, Ryan, this is Doug from Naples, Florida. Great to meet you at uh, TeslaCon last week. I have what I think is a pro tip. I've been having problems with my Spotify updating podcasts. Not so much your podcast, but uh, one that I listen to on a daily basis called The Daily. It never seems to update, and this happens on both my Teslas, one in Florida, the other in Connecticut. So I assume it's not a car-specific problem. The only way I've been able to get it to so it does update it is I log out and log back in. And the best way to do that I found is find a very short playlist. You find a sign out at the bottom and then sign back in again. And I have a very simple password for Spotify. So I hope that helps some others. Uh, Also, one feature request. I would love to see Tesla add a SiriusXM app to their Model 3, Model Y. I have the hardware installed on my Model S, but would love to have the app rather than playing it through my phone and the 3 and Y. Hope all is well, and uh, again, great to meet you, and um, look forward to uh, listening to your podcast. Hello, Doug. It was great meeting you as well. What a fun event that was. I had a great time. I always appreciate a good workaround slash life hack with these kinds of things. And I have no doubt that your fellow Tesla-owning Spotify users will as well. So thank you for that. Uh, And by the way, I'm 100% with you on that wish for a native Sirius XM app in the car. I've got a lifetime subscription that I got back in 2005 that I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. It's paid for itself several times over at this point. And so, hey, I'd love to be able to access it directly through the car's UI rather than having to Bluetooth it through my phone, which not only sounds worse, but it's also more dangerous since I'd have to fumble with my phone to change stations. In fact, if I'm being honest, I just very rarely listen to Sirius XM in my Tesla for this exact reason. So here's hoping that Sirius XM is able to land in our cars sooner rather than later. And if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week, something interesting, maybe not super obvious about the car that would be useful for me to learn and for your fellow owners and enthusiasts to learn, please send it in. You can call in with it the same way that you call in with a regular Ride the Lightning hotline call, which I told you about earlier in the podcast. Before I go, let me give you some mentions of friends of the podcast that can perhaps be of use to you. I like to start, I guess, alphabetically, but even not, even, they're not all in alphabetical order, but we're starting with the A, abstractocean.com. They make a ton of excellent aftermarket Tesla accessories, notably the rear footwell lighting kit, which I think is great for the Model Y. They've got a drop-in cup holder stabilizer. They've got a fourth generation tempered glass screen protector. They've got some really nice Lighting kits in both white, white light, but also different colors. If you want to get real fun in your interior, Abstract Ocean can can help you do that. Just take a look, see what they've got, because they've got a lot of stuff. AbstractOcean.com. When you've put everything that you like into your online shopping cart and you go to check out, 
Use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout and you will get 15% off of your first order. That coupon code again, RTLPODCAST, all one word. Meanwhile, you've got the Snap Play. Actually, let's, let's see if I can do this in alphabetical order. BudgetSafeSolar.com. Let me give you an update on where I am. We are very close. Uh, the, the bill is paid. We, we've got our next inspection scheduled for this coming week. This, as you hear the podcast, will be this week. So hopefully we're going to get signed off on and I hope activated and actually pulling power from the sun. So my hope is to have a really good final update on this project for you on next week's podcast. But for now, that's where I stand. And again, uh, I'm being totally frank and upfront with you here. You're going to check out Tesla for a solar project. You're going to take a look, I, as I did. But if Tesla doesn't work out for you for whatever reason, as it didn't for me, check out BudgetSafeSolar.com. They will take good care of you. It's going to be more of a custom approach. That's what it had to be for my roof. Uh, the Tesla wasn't quite willing to give me because, hey, Tesla's doing a high volume. I get it. I, I don't hold any ill will towards Tesla and, and the, you know, the inability to get a, a satisfactory solar project done with them. But Budget Safe Solar has been taking care of me. So again, BudgetSafeSolar.com. Use the referral code RTL if you do end up proceeding with a home or business solar installation. Next alphabetically would be, I guess, pure, wait, yeah, pure Tesla? Yeah, P. <laughs> I can do the alphabet. I graduated from journalism school. Let's let's go here. PureTesla.com slash RTL. Uh, your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode setups. The $49 kit is 128 gigabytes. It's gonna last. It's gonna be an excellent thing to have in your car that'll be reliably always recording for you in both Sentry and Dashcam. So grab it at puretesla.com slash RTL. It ships free anywhere in the US. That's a nice little bonus. You don't have to worry about paying shipping if you're in the United States. There's also a $69 kit that's 256 gigabytes. And if you do a lot of gaming with the, te the games on the Tesla, if you do play a lot of those games, you can get Pure Tesla's wireless game controller kit as well. Same place, puretesla.com slash RTL. And, oh, nope, see, I'm not good at the alphabet. I totally scrolled right on by Immaculate Reflections. I, that should have been the next one if I'm going to go alphabetical. Anyway, irdetailing.com. That is the website for Immaculate Reflections owned by Jeff, the master detailer there. He did my car uh, and has continued to help me take the, the ultimate care of my car. We've done replacement PPF for when I've had incidents and the PPF has, knock on wood, it saved me every time so far. Nothing has gotten through to the paint. My factory paint is intact underneath that paint protection film. So if you're gonna be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area with your car, I cannot recommend enough that you bring it to Immaculate Reflections for whatever it is you want to do. Maybe it is some paint protection film on some or all of the car. Maybe it's paint correction to bring out the absolute best in your Tesla paint job. Maybe it's ceramic coating 
so that you don't have to wax the car for the next three to five years. Maybe it's two of those. Maybe it's all of those. Whatever you want to do, Jeff's willing to work with you. And if you mention that you're a Ride the Lightning listener, he's got a nice little discount waiting for you. So that's very kind of him. The website, again, to reach out and get in touch with Jeff at is his company website, irdetailing.com. You can also see examples of his work on Yelp at yelp.com slash immaculate reflections and on Instagram where his handle is immaculate underscore reflections. And I think, ah, that leaves the snap plate. The snap plate is that front license plate bracket for those of you like me that would prefer not to have a front license plate bracket on there, but if you gotta do it, the snap plate's the way to go. It's nice and clean, minimalist design. It can be removed easily if you want, whether you're detailing the car, whether you're gonna be at a car show or a, you know cars and coffee kind of thing, but you can put it right back on, safely and securely back on, I might add. If you're gonna be at a parking meter, you don't wanna get that parking ticket from the the traffic enforcement, or if you're gonna be going through a, a toll road or a bridge, something like that. Anyway, get your snap plate for any of the four currently in production Teslas at everyamp.com slash RTL. That's everyamp, E-V-E-R-Y-A-M-P dot com slash RTL. And finally, for uh, promoting myself, if you'll humble me for a minute or g allow me to <laughs> give to take a minute. It's not humble after all. Allow me to humbly try to promote myself. I've, uh, and that is through Patreon. So uh, the show is, this podcast is free each and every week. It's been that way for 379 episodes and counting every single Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. But I do have a Patreon page set up and if you're not familiar with Patreon, it is a way that you can voluntarily choose to support your favorite creators, whether those people are musicians or authors or poets or, in my case, podcasters. You can go to my Patreon page, which is located at patreon.com slash teslapodcast, and you can back me there for... Uh, it's whatever you want to pledge per month. It's the starting tier is the $5 tier. I name all the tiers after Tesla acceleration modes. So that's the sport tiers. The sport modes is, is what the Model 3 performance and Model Y performance have. But anyway, the sport tier, five bucks a month, will get you early access to the podcast each and every week. And you also are being super generous and supporting my efforts here. Then there's the ludicrous tier, that $10 a month tier, which is where you get not just the early access, but also that lightning round weekly bonus mini episode that I always mention at the top of the show. And then the tiers go up from there. You can find out more on the Patreon page, which again is patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And with that... I think I'm about done. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. If you're curious to follow me on either of those, the handle is DMC underscore Ryan. You can email me anytime. My email address is teslapodcast at gmail.com. And before I go, let me say hello and thank you to the upper tier Patreon backers, the extra generous folks. I'll start this week with the Roadster in Space tier backers, the ultra generous they are super nice. They are uh, getting all kinds of perks in return. I'm, I'm hoping to, 
you know, I'm thanking them however I can. And so the Roadster in Space tier backers, they are Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Ayacaveto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, and Carol Weston. Uh, and then the Maximum Plaid backers. Thank you so much to Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Maitsuaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, Aaron, John Cody, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, We Drive Tesla EV Luxury Car Rental in Oahu, HaloBengals.com, Chris Pratt, Ken Epstein, Doug Carey, and James Gregory. And finally, the Plaid level supporters who are grandfathered in the Plaid level has been, been uh, dissolved, but these people are very kind to continue backing at that level anyway, and as such, I grandfather them into all the perks that they've been getting, including that shout-out here at the end of the podcast. So thank you very much to George Cassiopo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peake, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, the Tesla owners East Bay Club, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Ish, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado, B-A-E-R, the Bear Boys of Colorado. The uh, Maximum Plaid crew will be joining me as I record this, but not as you are listening to it. But tomorrow, Saturday, or yesterday, as the podcast is published, we're going to be doing November's Patreon Zoom Hangout, which is for the Maximum Plaid and higher tier backers. So I'm looking forward to chatting with the crew. Those hour, the hour we do each month always flies right on by. We always have a really fun Tesla conversation. So um, if you... Heard if you're a Maximum Plaid backer and you weren't able to make that, an audio recording of that is up right now uh, on patreon.com slash Podcast, which you already know that because you're already backing me on Patreon. All righty. For a now snoozing Daisy the Boxer, I, of course, am Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 379. Happy electric motoring, my friends, and I will see you next week.
I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make it's it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun. 